Um, Welcome to the next edition of Trade Secrets. I'm Candace Stewart, your hostess. And today we have one of the one of my favorite people, actually, Jim Scott's with us. Uh, if you don't know about Jim, look him up on the internet, but you'll learn about him today in our talk. And I know there's no video on this, but he's really handsome. <laughs> anyway, Jim, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great. It's nice to see you again after uh, been too long. Do so great to see you. So, uh, you know, Jim, I, I know a reasonable amount about your career and having been graced and being around you for quite some time, and I love you so much. But why don't you tell the listeners... You know, how did it all begin? Like, where were you born, Jim? <laughs> where, oh, I, yeah, like I, the actual beginning. <laughs> uh, I was born in uh, St. Vincent's Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana, um, you know, 21 years ago. <laughs> yes, yes, me too. Me too. And, uh, and what did your, what'd your dad do? What'd your mom and dad do? Uh, my father worked for the Ford Motor Company. Really? Yeah, he was an Army vet, a World War II Army vet, and um, got out of the Army and uh, went to work for Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company for That's a few years. That's who I'm years. with, actually. Yeah, yeah. well, I think I still got some of that. Yeah. And then, um, then he worked uh, for a year or two for the International Harvester, and then he got hired by the Ford Motor Company and worked uh gosh you must have worked 30 over 30 years for the ford motor company did you grow up in indiana i thought you were from nebraska for some reason oh no i thought no, you were from st louis i am i'm I, we lived in indiana for a while and then we moved to detroit because he had to do a little right. time up in the rotunda with right, the Ford right. motor company people oh and then uh, we moved then he was transferred to st louis missouri where i grew up did he get to meet shelby uh, I'm, I'm sure he did. Well, actually, you know, he, he was, you know, in the fifties, that was, that was a Ford Motor Company was obviously a huge company, but he was there and he was a talented guy and he was in kind of like, uh, the early think tank of Ford Motor Company. He was in with Lee Iacocca. He right was on. in with Robert McNamara. And there's a picture of him in Time Magazine in like oh, 1958 cool. sitting around a, a, a table with some of these guys who went on to be very, very famous and influential in the. I'm a car person, so I was Yeah, curious. me too, you yeah, know, yeah. I'm a Ford man. Yeah, yeah. What are you driving right now? <laughs> driving a super bad F-150. Right on. <laughs> Keep, keeping, it, keeping it with Ford. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you grow, so you go to end up in St. Louis. Uh, you go to elementary school in St. Louis? I did. I lived in the same house from age four until I graduated from high school. Oh, wow. My parents were solid, and I had two, two older brothers. Very fortunate. You know, my father had a good job, and... Um, we just lived in the suburbs in Kirkwood, Missouri, nice. and it was a beautiful life. You know, I went through grade Simpler school, time. Um, junior. In fact, this weekend just passed was my delayed high school reunion. The that fifth, I, the fifth year reunion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, I, I couldn't go because I was working, and I just did not, still not comfortable getting on a plane just yet. Yeah. But uh. I got some pictures from uh, the the event and saw some of my friends from high school. You think, wow, high school. And then you look and there's pictures of all these old people. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's all right. They, you, know, you can see their eyes and their smile and they're the same people. Dude, it's so funny. I, I went to my 20th reunion and this was a while ago. 
And super quick story, but you'll appreciate this. Uh, I was working at Soundcastle, and I'd been in L.A. just long enough to be sort of, you know, where you're answering people with, yeah, babe, okay, babe. You know, you're in a hurry and in a rush. And this guy calls me. He says, yeah, we're going to do the 20th high school reunion at James Island High School in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, I said, yeah, well, what's the information, babe? And he goes, well, it's at this island. You know, and he's like, well, it's at this island. You know, and he's talking real slow. And he goes, you don't remember me. I grew up behind your parents. I'm like, okay, dude, what's the deal? Like, give me the info. You know, come on, babe. You know, like, give me the info, right? So I go, I go there, and I'm with my friend Andrea, uh, Lord Algae, who you probably remember. And uh, we, we go to this private island. And, you know, and there's a, you know, a, a beer truck and a whole pig being roasted, very, very South Carolina style. And we walk out and uh, this gorgeous man starts walking towards me. I mean, he looks like a Calvin Klein model. And I'm like, who the hell is that? He goes, hey, Candace, it's Jimmy. I'm the one who called you. And I'm like, holy crap, you live by my parents? Like, where was I? How did I miss that one? <laughs> yeah, how did I miss that one? But I, I got voted least changed, which was sort of oh. an honor. <laughs> I guess at the time I was wearing a black Converse's black jeans and a black T-shirt. Apparently, my high school That's uniform. Okay, apparently, well, good on you, Candy. You don't look any different to me, dude. You you look fantastic, by the way. Um, yeah, you don't. You haven't aged at all. Seriously, like, like it's crazy. I was thinking about uh, Jim and I have known each other for quite some time, even though we're only in our late twenties. <laughs> We've mm-hmm. known each other since birth. Yeah. So now back to Jim. So Jim is Jim is going to elementary school. He's going to high school now. Were you in band, or did you play an instrument? I did. I, uh, you know, I. We had a guitar in the house and a piano in the house. My mom played the piano. Her family played piano. We all had sort of a shot at it, and, you know, I got the hands of a of a catcher. You know, I got little <laughs> hands, so no guitar for me and no piano for me, but. Um, I was in the band. I played trumpet and cornet in the in the band, not the marching band, but you know through. Uh, junior high school and into high school but um, you know when the when rock and roll came in when the Beatles came in one lot of uh, trumpet I uh, no (laughs) I'm not I'm not playing the trumpet anymore I I got a drum set and I started to play the drums and got in some high school bands and uh, you know, we had a ball. We just had the best time what ever. Was the, what was the name of your high school band? I was in a couple. Okay. The um, I was in a band called Soul and the Reactions. Very nice. So our lead singer, <laughs> uh, we nicknamed him Soul, and we didn't have any, but we had him. So, and, <laughs> a um, bunch of white kids yeah. playing Soul. And then, uh, and then, you know, tw- in the in the in the later than that, we were we thought we'd be a little bit more. Um, English sounding, so we started a band called the London Globe. Very nice. And then uh, for a little while, my my first kind of big break was the best band in town was this band called Cole and the Embers. Uh, Perry Cole was a really popular guy at our uh, at our high school, and and his band was the Embers. Cole and the Embers. Very nice. And they were supposed to do the talent show, and. Back in the day in high school, the talent show had kind of, our, at least at our school there was like you know, the best band in town usually played live behind all the acts that wanted to come up and sing. So if there was a girl group, that band would just stay on stage and, the, you know, like... The wrecking crew of just the Just sort of play the, you know, play the song and instead of using lip sync or a playback of a... or sing to a record or something, they actually had a live band. So... That's cool. Right at the last moment, they discovered that the Perry Cole's drummer didn't go to our high school. 
So you could disqualified. He's out. He can't play. So I, I was at you know in the locker room changing my football uniform, and Perry <laughs> comes up and says, "Man, you gotta come and learn all the songs, and you're in our band now." In 15 minutes. <laughs> well, so so it was good. So I remember I got a jacket. Like they had they had matching jackets. Very nice. I got a matching jacket to be in Cole and the Embers for a minute. And, what kind uh, of songs were you doing for? Oh, the original tracks? No, no, I'll, I'll cover tunes. We oh, did okay, like good. I remember we did uh, one band did "Sunshine of Your Love," which oh, is a nice. beat I still can't play, but I played it anyway. You know, <laughs> I just played my beat and they sang that song. So yeah, it worked. <laughs> yeah, it, it worked. Yeah. Jim's and, time. Uh, you know, was, uh, you know the girl groups would do Supremes songs and. Oh, uh, cool. You know, it was it was a blast. Oh, fun! So so you're in high school. You're 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 playing football. You're playing drums. You get out of high school, and what, what was what was on the horizon? College? What was? The oh plan? yeah, I had to go. To, I went to college. I wanted to go to college. Both my brothers had gone off to college, and um, back in those days, you the war in Vietnam was happening, and so if you didn't want to be if you didn't want to go to the in, in the army, which you could have at any time, there was a lottery system, and you they would call you, they would uh, draft you if you had a low lottery. Did number. you still get deferments for being a student? You could, yes. So a college deferment kept you out of the, uh, even if you had a low number, the college deferment trumped it. So but kind of guaranteed. But I, I, you know, I had both. I had, I was in college, and that was great, and I. Uh, also had a high lottery number, so I probably wasn't going to go. Two of my brothers both got called and both didn't have to go. You you actually know them. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, of Rick, course I do. Rick, Rick broke his back literally after he got drafted in a car accident. And then Steve had had polio mm-hmm. as a baby, so he didn't have to go. God bless. Well, my oldest brother, Hank, went, you know, graduated from Indiana University and was the next day he was in the Army and went to Vietnam. And is that, Hank with us? Yeah, he is. Oh, he's, good, 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 good. He's, he's no joke. He just he just suffered through Hurricane Ida down there in. Uh, oh, Pete. Ian. Yeah, Ian. Just yeah, Ida. yeah. Yeah, he just suffered through that, but he's good. Where's he live? Florida. He lives in uh, St. Pete Beach, Florida. Really? I just got back from Surfside Beach, South Carolina, which is where I'm hoping to retire, which is eight miles right between Myrtle's Inlet and Myrtle Beach. No oh, And it happened to be this tiny pocket that didn't get smacked. No, I mean, good. it rained. And mm-hmm. it flooded, but it didn't get it didn't get directly hit. So and my other brother Dan went to Stanford, and he was in the ROTC program. Is he the one I know as Scotty? No, that's my that's Hank. That's my oh, oldest Hank. brother. Oh, okay, well, yeah, I know him. Scotty. Yeah. Ah. So Dan uh, went to ROTC training, became an officer, and uh, wow. you know spent the rest of that of his army experience uh, in Rock Island, Illinois, as a as a as an officer. So the Mortality rate wasn't too high there, so that was great. And <laughs> well, I, so um, happy, so. I was uh, sort of given the choice. I, I, I had gotten a scholarship to go to the University of Southern California, so that's where I really? was going. Yeah, I was leaving. I was leaving, good looking and smart too, ladies. I was, I was leaving St. Louis <laughs> and I was going to Southern California. That was my thing. And my my father, who was a, a decorated World War II vet, he wanted me to go into ROTC training and. Uh, you know, become an officer, and and still avoid going to war if I had to. Yeah, he he, he to didn't be... really want me to go to war. Yeah. That wasn't the thing. But I didn't really want to do that, so that was... Caught, what, what was your dad's first name? Irvin. Did it call it E-R? Uh, E-R-V-I-N. That yeah. was my father's middle name. Mm-hmm. That's random. Irvin Hansel. I oh, didn't know that. See, this is random. what this thing's all about. Uh, um, did it cause any friction that you didn't go into ROTC? Yeah, was it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a good... Um, you know, we didn't communicate very well about that. But, you know, I was old enough 
or I thought I was old enough to make my own decisions. <laughs> and it sort of was boiled down to, well, if you're, if you're going to go off to college and not be in this ROTC training, which is, was very important to him, and rightly so, yeah. uh, then my choice was to then suddenly become an independent person and yes. see how long I could make it on my own. Yes. So that was the choice I'd made. Ch challenge accepted. Yeah, challenge. It was fine. <laughs> Off I went and, um, you know, I made a, made a go of it when I got to California and, you know. And what, what little I remember is that you were a geology major. Is that true? That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, I tried, I tried the business school for a year and I, I don't know why I did that. I really hate math and business as in general. So that didn't work. So then I wasted a year just taking classes and wondering what I was going to do. And then, uh, well, for the beginning, the first two years, you're right, you're just getting down yeah. your general stuff. So around the third year, I finally met a great professor. I took an oceanography class and he was a great charismatic um, professor named Dr. Bernard Pipkin, who wrote a great book. And, oh, wow. and he was great. And he was, and he, you know, the great teachers figure out what students need teaching. And he, he knew that I needed something. So he just talked to me and he said, what are you doing, man? What's your major? And it's like, I don't have one. He says, all right, come to my office. So we went to his office. He said, you're a geology major now. Here's what you have to take. And he just laid out my schedule for did me. Did you know that I changed from linguistics to geology as well? Good for you. I did, yeah. And then I changed to psychology. It's another story. But yeah. I mean, geology is a great, it's a great, so it's cool. a wonderful thing to study. You study the earth, you study the sky, as you go out camping in the desert and look at, you know, the constellations and the earth and you figure things was out. Was he real focused on oceanography, like you said? He was. was that so was his... That was his, his specialty, area. but it was, you know, part of the earth science. And uh, they didn't really have an oceanography major there. Right. They had a geology major there. So right. I did that and a lot of math and science. But, um, yeah, you get through. And did, So did you graduate with a degree in geology? I did, yeah. Wow. I did. And, and I instantly, you know. It, they were hunting you down, I'm sure. I'm sure headhunters were trying to snag you. Well, like I, and I'm sure it's or, true at a lot of universities, but. Uh, the University of Southern California, which I've come to learn, uh, they, you know, the alumni kind of takes care of their own. So it wasn't too much after... Bit of a boys club. Too much after oh, I graduated. Alumni club, I sorry. I got a call from one of my professors and he said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm working at a manufacturing job. You know, I, I got a college degree from SC and I'm working on a line someplace, you know, manufacturing. To, to it's like just like stupid, warehouse the stupid. worst. And yeah. he says, well, okay, well, that's fine. That's good. Um, I want you to hear, write down this phone number. Go meet this guy. You're going to interview for a geology job. And I was like, oh, great. So he basically walked in. I had the job before I walked in. They wanted me, you know, so I went to work in, as an engineering geologist. And, you know. Like was, geothermal? What were you? No, we you? mostly did um, earthquake studies, groundwater studies, cool. and a lot of development. By a the way, we need of, your help now here in California. A lot Jim, of single family, <laughs> a lot of single family development. And this was the early 70s. And. So you actually go out and check out these sites that these developers wanted to develop to make sure they were geologically yeah. sound. Yeah. And you give them, you, you know, ah. take a drilling rig and drill holes and you take a bulldozer and you cut you know roads and you know just see where the problems are and you make your recommendation and then and that was all pretty fun being out in the field with yeah. like, that equipment and uh you know taking samples and going to the lab and you know 
baking the dirt and doing the tests with the moisture and all the compaction requirements. And, and do you study like history, like, oh, this is from the Crustaceous period and this is from... Well, sure. I mean, that was, you don't really study it, but it's very well documented. You know, everything's pretty young here on this coast. <laughs> so. But, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, one thing led to another and I thought, man, this is the greatest job. I'm out on, I'm out on my own. I'm out in these beautiful tracts of land. I'm in Orange County. I'm Paid up okay. north. Every, well, yeah, absolutely. Everything yeah. was beautiful until they started to develop them. Then I had to go back and like test to make sure that they were moving the dirt properly. And of course and, they weren't. And of course they weren't. And, yeah. and I really sort of broke my heart because I, you know, these be- like Laguna and uh, developed one big project was most of Laguna Niguel that we, oh, wow. and it was, you know, gorgeous. The, the years before I was sitting on a bluff looking th- at the ocean with, um, wild artichokes and foxes and and deer and everything and then two or three years later i'm back there with bulldozers and we're building you know a thousand houses and and it kind of broke my heart that i couldn't i didn't want to be part of that anymore it was like this is not yeah it was like devastation kind of i mean i don't want to be you know i mean people got to live someplace and it's all good but i didn't want to be part of it it's interesting too jim and i both share a love of uh, crystal cove which is an area between uh Newport and Laguna that's sort of sort of in its original state as mm-hmm. close as most places where people live could be yeah you can rent a little cabin kind of on the on the beach and kind of go back into Tide the 20s and the and 30s stuff. and yeah, pretend yeah. like you were there before anybody else was I have there. a friend I actually you know this girl I think uh Katie Katie Parks uh she used to work for Clank she worked for for Richie Zito but she lives in Three Arch Bay mm-hmm. got a house from her grandparents built in the 20s I spent a little time in Three Arch Bay. Yeah, yeah, in a beautiful area. Mm-hmm. Somebody developed Three Arch Bay too. Whoever did that, you did you did a good job, but I'm sure before you'd build houses there, it must be even more beautiful. Yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so so you're a grown man. Yeah, I'm a grown man. Got a job. Got a job. You know, living in Orange County? No, I was uh I was living in Hancock Park. Oh nice. That's a In track. a guest house. But I was traveling a lot. A lot of our work was in Orange County. And uh, I had a friend of mine had a, a house in Anaheim, and I would stay with him if I was working down there. I'd just gotcha. crash on the couch. But yeah, no, I had an apartment in uh, in in uh, Hancock, Hancock Park. Park. Sweet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, not too far from where we are right now. We're in Studio One at East West. Um, Hancock Park is nearby. So I, I have to. What is the transition from Jim is geology man to Jim is now? One well, of Jim, famous Jim's geology man was confused. <laughs> I had a really good job. I was making a lot of money. I had a new van, um, and but I just was really unhappy. I was unsatisfied. I didn't. My work wasn't. I just didn't really like the job very much. Yeah. And um, you know, I was. I don't know if I was, you know, depressed or unhappy or what. How, how I mean, old were you? Twenty-eight. Formative, formative years. Yeah, formative years. So. I just was thinking, well, I, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to do this. I'm, I'm not married. I don't have children. I don't have a house payment. I just sort of, you know, I got this van and this job and I get a paycheck every two weeks for a lot of money. It's like, I, things are good. Like what, let's, let's, what do you want to do? What do you want to do now? So the first thing that I did was, uh, I took a six month leave of absence from my job and my best friend and I, no, I just said, look, I need a break. I would like to not quit my job but I need a break I'm 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 uh I'm just I'm I'm asking for six months off 
And then when I come back in six months, I'd like to, if there's still a job available, I'd like to have it. And I right. said, okay. They basically said, sure, that sounds good, which nice. was amazing. So my best friend and I packed up my brand new Ford van, and, and this was in 77, and we went to Alaska for six months. Oh, my God, how cool. And, uh, you know, being geologists and whatnot, he was a geologist too. Uh, the oil uh, pipeline was, everybody was on the North Slope and helicopters looking for oil. And so he was like, well, we'll go up there and look for jobs under the disguise of we're going to go camping and fishing and hiking <laughs> every day. <laughs> we're going to hang out in Alaska. So we went to Alaska and uh, had a, you know. God, like I've a, never been to Alaska. I've it's amazing. To had a, he and I had a, took our dogs and had a sabbatical and we just went up there and we just had the, just the best trip. How cool is that? So when I came back from that trip, which was really fun, and if, you, if anyone can, you know, give yourself a life break and go do something fun because you'll, th you'll talk about it the rest of your life. You exactly, know? yeah. Um, I went across Canada with my mom when I was 13 for like four months in Winnebago. We went up through Michigan, the Upper Peninsula, and across Canada. And that trip to this day still sticks with me as one of the greatest times of my life yeah, with no, my mom. It's, it's and the, seeing Canada, seeing all of Canada. Yeah, it's great. Alaska, that's so, so okay. Oh my God, so, so we're back from Alaska. And so you're back like, from Alaska and I actually got my job back. So I'm, I'm, wow. working, cause I'm working for another couple months and I'm just so depressed. Like, oh. I'm bummed out to be you know, back in the, in the work-a-day world and I'm, I didn't make any progress and I was, had so much fun being free. And I, so I basically made a list. I, I, you know, I had loved being in bands and- I want to camp professionally. <laughs> Yeah, well, I love. I had loved being in bands in high school, and and we had a PA, and we had our name on the side of our station wagons, and and uh, you know, and I didn't mention, but all through college, I was sort of in a band too, uh, but not as a player so much because I I wasn't that great a drummer, but I I had equipment. Did you, know? you start running the PA in college? We, I we did. can't gloss over that. That's I an did. important formative. No, thing. it is. It is. I I got to college and brought my drum set. I auditioned for a couple of bands. And I realized that I was a terrible drummer. So I wasn't going to be performing any more drums in any bands I by the time fine. I got to college. So, but I did meet some very talented uh, singer-songwriter. And we're all teenagers still, you know. Yeah. Like, we're all 19, 17, 18, 19 years right. old, 20 maybe. And these guys were, they could really play their instruments. And they could really sing in harmony. And they could write songs. And I'd never met anybody that could write a song. So... I started hanging out with these guys and we became roommates and then they were rehearsing in our living room and I just thought this is they're this great. is awesome yeah and uh, and I learned a lot because I could actually hear what you know instead of just bashing out a credence song with you know a bunch of knuckleheads in the garage these guys were trying to make real music trying to be original artists and did you start collecting PA equipment and microphones and things well like they that? went to do gigs at the coffee shop and all the stuff that I could hear in the living room sitting in the middle of them, I couldn't hear at the coffee shop because the coffee shop sounded terrible and their <laughs> three-part harmony and you know the second guitar line and the little keyboard part, none of that, you could, couldn't hear any of it the way I wanted to hear it. So I thought, I know what I'm gonna do. Cause I had a PA in my band when I was in high school. I went and bought a PA and I said, next week when we go to the coffee shop, I'm going to bring the PA and I'm going to mix you guys. What 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 kind of mixer? What kind of it setup? It was a Standell, uh, four-channel, powered columns, kind of like a Shure Vocal Master, but it was made by Standell. So we had four microphones instead of one at the coffee shop, right. and my PA speakers on each side, and that was great. 
And I started mixing, and they started sounding good. And then we came back the next week, and then... Did other bands start requesting you? No, not so much. But we, you know, I knew enough to know, like, well, if, if I can put four microphones on those things, then I can hear those things really well. But we got more going on than that. We, we got, you know, we got a whole band here. So. How big was the mixer? Well, the next one I bought was an eight-channel <laughs> oh, gotcha. one. So we went up to uh, this acoustic 850 um, eight-channel mixer, and it was great. And we very quickly filled that up. And by this time, now we've got drums and a Hammond organ and a piano and two guitar players and, two, and everybody sang. And one guy played flute, another guy you played conga. You had to conga. buy wedges and monitors? We, we wow. decided we, uh, we, had, we needed more equipment. So one of the fathers of the twin brothers that were in the band, the father of the twin brothers in the band, lent us $10,000. God bless him. And we went to the guitar center and we bought $10,000 worth of equipment so that we could have a run at being like the best band on campus. Yeah. And we were. So we bought everything. What was the name that, of that band? Uh, it was called Voices. Oh. Everybody sang, so we thought it, everybody it's would. cool. So we, you know, long story short, kind of long, boring story short. We, it's not boring. We, uh, <laughs> we bought all the equipment, and we became the it band on campus. We played all the frat parties. We played for all the, like the dental school had a big party every year, and the law school had a big party. And we, we, uh, we played all the hits, and Will we did we original. Will we know who the people in Voices were? Did they go on to become songwriters? The, the team? Um, well, they they're th- all kind of still alive, except oh. for one guy who just couldn't make it any farther. But uh, they're, all, they're all alive. They still work. I make records with Bill Martin, my friend Bill Martin. Really? He was my roommate for a long, time. Were any long of them time. like brother-sister combos or anything like that? They were twin brothers. Okay, that's what you said. That's they what you were said. Twi- yeah, a set of twins, the Jim and Moose McMains. They're... Moose. Moose. His parents gave him that name. Yeah. He was born Moose. He was like one ounce bigger than his twin brother, so he was Moose, you know. <laughs> I don't know. So that's how it, that's how it kind of went, you know, and I started having such a good time with that. And we had a big PA, and we did big gigs, and we actually got a record deal for a minute, and we, you know, we got completely screwed by our manager, and yeah. and it's a great story. Welcome, that's another yeah, welcome, great story. Welcome to the world of it. I'm gonna but that, that all happened before my geology career. Right, so, the, right. you know, we graduated from college. The band sort of broke up. We lost our record deal. We're brokenhearted. Who had the gear? Everybody goes there. Well, we all kind of divided it up. Okay. Um, Did and you then, get the mixer? Did and, you get the mixer? <laughs> <laughs> no, I left it. And then, every, then I became the geologist. So that I was a geologist all those years. And I'm still unhappy, and I go like, when was I happy? When? Why am I miserable? I'm. I have money and a car and a job, and I'm me. Like, why? I'm sure, am there I are plenty of ladies around as well. <laughs> well <laughs> so back to. So I. I just. I actually got a piece of paper, and I wrote down things I like to do, things I hate to do. I need to do that tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's a. It, it, it. It's a. It's. I don't know where I got that idea, but it. And I. It basically came up, I want to be in a music business somehow. I, had, I was always happy in high school, in college, playing in a band, working with a band, setting up the mics, doing this and that, having a good time. It's so, it's so interesting. I've been doing these, you know, a couple of these uh, podcasts, and almost everyone I talk to, it's not the trajectory you think. It's not like people wake up knowing they want to be an engineer or a producer. It's, it's generally... I don't want to say stumbling, but it's generally sort of a, yeah. <laughs> an alternate path that inadvertently leads you back, you know, to that, to whatever it is that really makes you happy. And 
thank God doing something that makes you happy. Yeah. I mean, I love my job. Yeah, I get to sit here and talk to you. I love my You're job. You're awesome. I get to tell people what to do. <laughs> I love my job. I haven't had a real job since 1984. I, I've been self-employed since 84. I was a bartender for a long time, which I also really enjoyed. I, I mean, obviously, I'm social. I like helping people, like working in hotels and being hospitable and stuff like that. But I always used to think, man, when am I going to quit bartending and get a real job? And the job I have now, I still don't consider a real mm -hmm. job. So, so okay, so we've written down on a piece of paper. Yeah, and I and I was... Everything came up, music, music, music. Like, find yeah. a job in music. And I thought, well, what kind of a job could I possibly do in music? I can't, I can't play or sing, so I'm not going to do that. And I thought, well, I could be a roadie. I, I love, I know how to move gear. I know how to, we did, I don't know how many gigs we did in college. We must have done a couple of hundred gigs in, a, in those years. You know and how to set up a stage. I, I yeah. would pack everything, a Hammond organ, an upright piano, the the PA, the monitors, all the guitars and the drums and everything. I got that all in my van. Jim's an organized guy. I got, I'm good at Tetris. <laughs> you are good. So I knew how to hump gear. I knew how to set it up. I knew how to fix a lot of it. And I thought, well, I could be a roadie. So, okay, that's a possibility. I just go figure out how to go be a roadie. And then I thought, well, I could also, you know, maybe I could go up to Universal Theater. It was before it was the amphitheater. Right. It was... Um, and I thought maybe I could get in on the crew and just like be like a crew guy, like a stage right, like guy. Like work for that Like venue. work for a music venue. Right. So I thought that was a possibility. And that gave me, well, yeah, that's a good idea because people actually do that. Yeah. I can, I can roll road cases yeah. and I can set up stuff. I, I know which end of the microphone to plug in. You know, <laughs> I can do this. Uh, and while I'm doing this, living with my, you know, my roommate Bill and, he had a friend that he was, a, a, a wonderful woman that he was seeing at the time, a high school friend of his, a gal named Lisa Jurakos. And Lisa, who actually went on to become David Bianco's wife. Oh. The late, great David Bianco and yeah. the great, late, great Lisa. They're oh, both gone wow. now. But uh, she was hanging around and she said, uh, as hanging around as a friend and just watching me go through my turmoil, and she said, uh, well, I'm working at a recording studio now. I'm a she. She was a worked at a temp agency. She was a, a temporary bookkeeper. Oh wow! And the and she said, I'm working at a at a recording studio. Why don't you come and record apply at a recording studio? And they they make records, and you could set up microphones and mix a sound and make records. And it never occurred to me to work that, in a studio that that well, I, you know you do, you know records just appear like <laughs> they actually go to a studio and uh, it didn't really occur to me we're sitting in a room right now where records appear i know <laughs> so so i i she worked at the friggin record plant oh wow so i go down to the record plant i make an appointment to go see chris stone at the record plant for an interview who was the manager was d willoughby around or who was who was the manager it was then? sharon presser Oh, okay. Before Rose. Yep. All right. Uh, I love Rose. Me too. <laughs> I like Sharon too, but I was a little afraid of her. Uh, I think we were all a little afraid of Rose too. Yeah. <laughs> In a good way. In a good way. So yeah. I, I have a professional resume. I'm a college graduate. I've got five years of experience as a professional engineering geologist, and I'm applying for the janitor job. Yeah, they didn't even call them runners back then. Uh, you guys, I mean, uh, I don't know who came up with the idea of janitor. It's a little demoralizing. I mean, runners is really the well, same job. Well, actually, it was the gopher. 
You, right, you know, right, right. It was go the for go it. for this, go for that. Right, right. So I, you know, I'm in there. I didn't wear a suit, but I, you know, I looked good and I had a nice shirt. And, and uh, I meet with Chris and he was a total pro. And he, and he listened to my, my story about my career and my, my love for music and how I thought I could actually do this. And after, a, and after a pretty short interview, he says, well, Jim, I can't hire you. Uh, and here's why. You're too old. You, and you actually have the wrong degree. If you want to be a recording engineer, you need an EE degree, an electric, electronic engineering degree. Yeah. But you don't have that. You have a science background, and that's not going to help you in this career. And uh, you're too old, and I know guys like you, you're having a midlife, midlife crisis. You're well, gonna yeah, 28 midlife crisis. You're going to come down here and work for me for six months, and I'm going to train you. And then you're going to go, I want my old job back, and you're going to quit, and I will have wasted six months on you. So, no, you can't. I'm not hiring you. Thanks for coming in. <laughs> and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. This is like the guy that passed on the Beatles, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, thank you very much. You know, I'm bewildered. And I, I, I walked outside, and there was, a, there was a bar next door to the record plant. Um, <laughs> What was the name of that the French restaurant? I'll think of it in a minute. The Entourage. It was called The Entourage. The Entourage. And um, so I'm sitting there having a drink, and I thought, well, I should call Lisa and tell her what happened, you know, because she was, that I got fired, or that I, that I didn't get the job. And Listeners, this is pre-cell phone, so Jim would have had to get up and go to a pay phone. Well, I was sitting there at the bar, and the guy was going like, what, what's, your, what's going, you know, just talking to me, what's going on, man? I said, well, I was just actually next door at the recording studio, and I was trying to get a job, and I didn't get it, and I was, I got a, is there a phone? I, I need to, uh, I would like to call somebody uh, to talk to them, and he said, well, we have a direct line here. So they had to a, the record plant. Yeah, they had a direct line at the bar next door to the record plant. Of course they did. So he brings out this phone, you know, the bat sets, phone. <laughs> the bat phone, sets it on the bar, and uh, he says, "Yeah, just you know, dial these three digits, and the operator, you know, the front desk will answer." So three digit. I want to get a phone that goes to a nearby three digit bar. intercom, <laughs> and you know, the front desk person. I forget who it was at the time. Might have been Marla. <laughs> Might have been. Yeah. So I said, "Hi, it's Jim Scott. I was, I was just, uh, I was just there. Um, is there any? Uh, I was just here for an interview. Is there any chance that I could talk to Chris Stone again?" Oh, and not talking to Lisa. No, talk to Chris. No, I said, "Let me just talk to Chris." Okay. And she put me through, and he answered the phone, and I said, "Hi, Mr. Stone. Thank you very much for the interview. I just wanted to tell you I appreciate everything that you said, and I thought about it, and and um, I just wanted to let you know that." I'm still available, and I could start on Monday. And he went, <laughs> okay, come on in. He did? Yeah. Oh, that's such a good story. Yeah. Um, because I had that connection with Record Plant with my brothers, a lot of the people that I've been talking to, and people that I didn't even know, end up having like connections to Chris or connections to mm -hmm. the Record Plant. And for those of you who don't know, you, you'd really, and Jim's going to tell us, tell us a little bit about it, but you really don't really realize the influence that these studios had on the music of the time and on the artists of the time, including where we're sitting now, which is Western Recorders. But the record plant, <laughs> this is a unique environment to be sure. I mean, you're talking all the great, a lot of the great hits of the of the 70s and 80s and onward and it still exists in a different location today but jim tell us about that first day at the record plant 
if he remembers. Well, I still remember specifically my first day at the record plant. I go there and they give me, in 19, I went to work in December of 79. Okay. And uh, they had just redesigned their logo from the hippie, trippy, Peter sort Max of thing. psychedelic, yeah. Peter Max, um, you know, multicolor balloon script. Yeah, like, plant. like it, it was kind of like a, a yellow submarine. People. Yeah, and yeah. it was, and they had just redesigned it that year, or maybe even right then, into this like really modern metallic. Uh, you know, bold print, silver and blue, kind of like the Commodores or something, you know, <laughs> and it said record plant. And I, they gave me a record plant t-shirt and the keys to the brand new record plant station wagon. And I was the gopher. <laughs> and I was, I had this Tell record. me it was a Ford station wagon, Jim. No, it wasn't. Oh, a Chrysler. Man. Disappointing. Pretty close. It was okay. a Chrysler. <laughs> Iacocca went over to Chrysler. Yeah, yeah, I know, know, I know, yeah. <laughs> so I felt like a million bucks. I felt like Rocky. Keys like, to I the felt kingdom. Like, like I made it. Yeah. I made it. I'm a <laughs> gopher. I'm gonna, yeah. And I'm going to go. <laughs> and uh, For it, yeah. So it, so it was uh, It was great. I was, I was very happy. I was a great runner. I bet you were badass. I was good. Yeah, I have no doubts. Um, so and then you just you know and then the record plant was a hierarchy you know there was you know if there was 10 guys employed one of them was the top assistant engineer and one of them was the bottom janitor was lee Kiefer still around at that time oh absolutely okay oh yeah the late great yeah just like great and was nevison around was he present i I think at one time he was the chief i'm not really sure how that worked out or what the maybe for a minute i mean they kind of had a few that you know ron was for a minute lita carlo was for a minute until mike and mike mike stone was for a minute oh right you know mike stone uh so it was you know the next was it, I call it a fuzzy shark tank. That's kind of what I call it here when I'm telling people like, look, make no mistake that you're competing with the people that you're working with to le- and you can leapfrog over them if your ability, if you show me that you have ability that they don't have. But the people that were here before you are here for you to learn from, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. be respectful. But at the same time, I always tell them, look, there's nothing in your way but you. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's nothing standing. And, and was it kind of like that or no? Well, no, no, it was it was it was great. I mean, my experience was very camaraderie with okay. those guys, um, you know, specifically. We mentioned them already in this interview was specifically Dave Bianco. Oh, the best. Specifically Mike Klink. Great. Uh, who saved saved my rear end one time. I was in, over, in, in a session in over my head and had no idea how to do like the simplest thing. I, I, you know, I'm, I don't know if I have some sort of a dyslexia, but sometimes input and output don't make sense to me. Like patch it in, patch it out, patch it in, patch it out. He's overcome this many times, ladies and germs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, and Clink s- s- straightened me out one day and, and very gently and Sweetheart. calmly saved me. Uh, from great embarrassment and, and, uh, and explained it to me. So it was oh, like, it seems like such a simple thing, but I didn't get it. Um, the trajectory really hasn't changed, to be honest. Those of you who are listening who don't know much about recording studios and how we work, we are still, the time that Jim started, I don't, there may have been a recording school, um, you may be one of the early ones, but 
you know, now there's recording schools, but at the end of the day, if you come out of a recording school and you come to work someplace like this, or you go to work with Jim in his place, it's the same thing. You're still starting out at the beginning and you're still learning from, you're learning while, it's, it's a, uh, what do I call it? Continuing education. You're learning while doing. Yeah. And that, what was so great about the record plant. Yeah. Well, there, there was a, there was a system. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of, um, paperwork that had to be done. There was a lot of, uh, you know, just, you know, a lot of, you had to, Turn my you had phone to, off, sorry. you had to write, you had to keep notes. You had to write things down. You had to keep tape logs. You had to write things down on the boxes, the tape boxes. There was a, there was a, um, there was a procedure for checking tapes in, checking tapes out, filing them Penmanship in. Penmanship is actually really Penmanship, important. absolutely. Uh, yeah. Neatness counts, yeah. you know, being able to, um, and uh, I remember when I was getting promoted from uh, the janitor, from gopher to janitor, which meant I would actually be in the rooms. Oh, there were, okay, so there's that distinction? I didn't realize. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the, so the, you're the, driving the, the station wagon, the but gopher, you're not actually the in gopher, the studio. No, no, you could help the janitors, but basically they kept, you know, everybody needed food, everybody needed trips to the airport, they had trips to the bank. Sure. There was a lot of running. There was yeah. a lot of gopher, A lot of driving. A lot of driving, a lot yeah. of, you know, taking, going, picking up speakers that are got recone. Learn your way you know, around L.A. for sure. Drop, taking things to the post office. Oh, yeah. Picking up lunches all over, picking up, you know, everything. We had Thomas Guide back then. We didn't even have, Thomas we didn't Guy, have navigation. I still have mine, 1977, 1980, 78, Thomas Guide. Uh, so when I, when I was getting ready to get promoted into the lowest janitor, there was four <laughs> janitors, and you worked your way up to be the head janitor. We have head runner here. Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I was being trained by a really cool young man uh, named Alvin Broussard. Alvin was 18 years old and he was getting promoted from, you know, like bottom janitor to number two janitor. And I was being promoted from gopher to bottom janitor. And I'm He's feeling great because he now has a protege. Yeah, and I'm 12 <laughs> years older than he is. Oh, shit. <laughs> with a college degree. And he's teaching me how to clean a, a studio. And it's not as easy as you think. You didn't use pledge on the toilet, did you? That happened here recently. Someone used pledge on a no. stainless steel toilet. We came up with the slogan, this is for wood. Yeah, yeah I like that. <laughs> and I remember him saying, you know, back in those days, there would, you know, tape recorders were in all the rooms and there would be pieces of... Um, editing tape on the edge. There was sort of a move when you were editing tape. You cut a piece of the editing tape and line it up on the edge of the tape recorder so you could quickly like grab a piece to edit your tape together. And, and he said, well, if you leave these pieces of tape on the edge of the tape recorder for the next day, you'll be fired. Wow. But if you also you got to know the difference between they want them there and they don't want them there. If you take the ones that they want, you're fired. Oh, if you leave the ones that they don't want, you're fired. Oh, Jesus. Uh, all the pencils. But you had to find this out without actually asking them. Yeah. All the <laughs> pencils have to be sharpened, obviously. Yeah. Everything has to be cleaned, but, you know. Can't vacuum. If uh, you can't vacuum because there's tape in there. You yep. can't run that machine in there. Yep. You, the ashtrays, you could take, you can clean the ashtrays of cigarette butts but you must put the marijuana cigarettes back uh, in if it's a smokable piece of marijuana <laughs> that should stay in a nice clean ashtray i i would 
do the same. Um, yeah. You obviously, you know, the, the record plant was a beautifully designed studio, expensive, uh, and there was lots of fancy light bulbs and all kinds of light fancy, bulbs, pet peeve, fancy light, light bulbs. bulbs and fancy light fixtures that were had dimmers and colors and all kinds of stuff. And and if there was an, I remember Ron Nevison brought me in one time to one of his rooms. He was in with Thirty Eight Special or something, and a bunch of guys standing around with sourpuss faces. And he's sitting at the console, you know. Do you know why I brought you in here? Like, no, Ron, I don't. What what's, <laughs> what can I, what, what can I get you, Ron? What's going on? Look around. I'm looking around, like being a little embarrassed. And there was one pin spot light, like up in the ceiling that oh, was man. burned out. Hey, but right is right. And I went, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. I'm going to go get that right now. Oh, so we got a ladder, got the right light bulb. Boy, it kind of, teaches humility, does the, it the not? The kind of light bulb that you can't touch with your fingers. Oh, you, you know, you, like, you can't get your any oil from your finger oh, onto, the, onto the screw and base. And <laughs> oh, Jesus. It was a, a little intimidating, you know. I would say I, the, very intimidating. The ice machine band had to be cleaned. All, the ice machine needed to be clean and full of ice. The, you always had to keep everything stocked. Did you have like beer machines and like vending machines? Yeah, twenty-five cents. Like it was an old Coke machine, and we filled it with with uh, Budweiser long necks. Twenty-five cents. I stole that idea from you when I went to take one. I did the same thing. Yeah, it's a good thing. I mean, that was that was. A, <laughs> I need one here. Actually. That was a good. That was a good. Yeah, I need one right now. Uh, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. I mean, the record plant was fun, and it was really hard work. But there was a definite process, and if you screwed up, you were fired. So you're, you're working with, what was his first name, Mr. Broussard? What was his Oh, Alvin. Name? Alvin. So you're working with Alvin. He's showing you the ropes, and uh, when you, so you, now you're janitor. Um, how long was that time frame of janitor to assistant? Maybe a year? A little longer? Well, kind of the secret to my success was MTV. MTV broke in... Video, video killed the radio star, Jim. <laughs> MTV broke in whatever, you know, late 80, maybe 81. Yeah. And I was janitoring at the record plant. And the record plant also had four recording trucks. They four? Had four yeah, wow. we, we had four trucks. And when MTV hit, everybody oh, wow. thought, this is really great. But the... That was kind of before directors and storyboards and bands being actors and, you know, like uh, there, there was some of that. But the quickest way to get on MTV was to film the single at a gig. Right. So, at a venue. Yeah. Uh, so in, every band that was on the road between like 1980 and 1982, when I was on the recording truck, when I was on the remote truck, um, we needed a, they needed a video. So I... I was older, which was a plus. I also happened to have a Class C driving license because I'd been a truck driver before. Oh. I had the right license. Is that from the geology thing? You ever had the no, truck? No, I had a, I had a uh, in high school, I had a job driving trucks. Oh, okay. And uh, had the right license. I had, you Now, know, were these big semis or were they buses or? It wasn't a semi. They weren't detached. We weren't pulling a trailer like the- I remember the, seeing like, one, but like, I can't. Like the black, wasn't like the New York black truck that was a semi. Right, semi. right, right. Uh, they were just big, big box, big moving vans, big oh, gotcha. box trucks, you know, big, the biggest rental box truck you could buy, you know. And did like the chief engineer at the record plant equip and outfit these? And We had Jack Crimes, the amazing Jack Crimes. Who, who is did, this guy? Jack Crimes was um, a, a wonderful, inventive 
maintenance engineer and a recording engineer, but mostly a maintenance engineer. I, I think if, I, if, my, if my memory and my lore is correct, he kind of invented the amp connector, the big giant 54-pin oh, yeah. amp connector. Oh, and uh, he designed and built these trucks, and we had four of them. And MTV hit, and I had the right license, and they took me from, I'd only been a janitor for, I don't know, six or eight months, and, you know, and, and the janitor was also night phone answering guy and anything else that they wanted you to do. And I got put in a truck and went out on the road, and I could look back, I, I've added it up before, but I did close to 400 gigs oh in my two God. years. Oh my God, so who, what was, uh, do you remember some of the early shows? Oh yeah. Well, uh, the first show was uh, Bruce Springsteen in Tucson, Arizona. Holy crap! The night, the night they filmed the Rosalita video. Oh my God! How crazy is that? And I got that. I got to be. I got promoted to the because whenever you were requested into a room. Yeah. Like if you were, you know, John Boylan was great at that. Like he was good to Sweetie me in that pie. way. He. Yeah. If you were invited into a room, if you were janitoring, and he said, "Come in here for a second, man." You could go in there and not be a janitor until it was time to go back to, to your, go back out. But yeah, he, yeah. you know, if you if you were invited in, you were in, and you know that's and you know there's so a, front desk was looking for you. Just be like, oh, he's in with John, and that'd be fine. That's fine. Yeah, that's oh, totally cool. Good. Is that? So anyway, so I'm on the phone one night, um, uh, overnight uh, phone answering guy at the record plant. You know, the overnight shift, and in the middle of the night, I get a phone call. And it's Chuck Plotkin, oh. the great, famous Chuck Plotkin, who yep. was working with Bruce Springsteen at the time. And he wanted to book a recording truck now. What and time of night was he calling like in? It was like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning. He, he, needs a truck, he needs a truck in Tucson now, you know. Oh, I said, okay, well, I tell you what, they're, they're, they're not, I can wake somebody up for you, but let's, let's get, let, let, let me figure that you, tell me everything you need. I'm going to write it down. I'm going to stay here until they come in in the morning i'll i'll just wait for them to and then for, i'm gonna drive to tucson <laughs> and so we chatted and we i wrote down the setup and he what he wanted on the truck and the mics and he was you know he knew he knew what he wanted and i wrote it all down like eight o'clock nine o'clock in the morning everyone's coming in and um it was actually lisa uh Jirakos, uh who was running the remotes and Mark Eshelman were running the remote department at the time and I said well I got this call last night from this Chuck man Chuck Plotkin and he wants to book a truck and and um uh you know I wrote it all down and here's everything and all the phone numbers I had and all of my everything and they was like oh great so so the call was made and and, and when they and were, when they called Chuck he said he wanted they, you it, and when they called Chuck he said well whoever was on the phone last night that guy had it together so oh, I love so it. Pull, put him on the truck too I want him on the crew nice. so I had never crewed before but they said you can go and just you were requested so you can go and like, I work, love this role by the work way. and observe so I did my first remote, and then, and then I just started doing all Dude, of them. Dude, four hundred gigs! Oh my god! And and what would be the territory? Like, how far east would you drive, for example? Oh, we went to New York several times. Wow! Uh, all up and down the West Coast, the Washington right. uh, inland is like Spokane. And, all right. Okay. Um, Midwest know, at all? Oh, absolutely. Oh, man. Texas, Lubbock. We did Black wow, Sabbath a, in Texas. What a great separate side business for the record plant. 
Oh, it was incredible. I can't to be a lot a, of local shows too. We did the Roxy all the time and the Troubadour all the time. Right. And, um, did you do? Did they the do Greek. things like the Grammys back then? Yeah, we, yeah, we did all the TV shows. Wow. And it was all like I was. All, it was only one truck. It wasn't like six trucks like they have now. And it wasn't. And it was all analog console. So anytime a new band came up, wow. or an orchestra, or a dance number, had we had read. like just like seventeen minutes to go from doing a rock band to doing like a dance number. Oh my god! And it all and all the mics had to change and all. And then and then there was another band. And, and you're in a truck, so how big is the crew? Three people? Three or four people. Wow. And a lot of documentation, you know, running two 24 tracks and a two track and two cassette decks and labeling everything. With and in real time, which we'd all agree is even extra added pressure, like you said. And in real time, and everything's got to work, and you got to, you know, keep, you know, if you're doing a band and you're running two 24 tracks and a two track and two cassettes, you have to label everything as it's happening in real time, time, start time, end time, song title. Um, I, yeah, so many people would crash and burn now, I think, if they were trying to do, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm being harsh, maybe not. Well, but it was uh, just, uh, it just became like a, you just had to know the choreography and you couldn't. My stomach's growling. You couldn't quit. <laughs> you know, you had to know the choreography, like how to keep it all going, when to switch reels and when to. And where the snakes were. and uh, Oh, yeah, all that, all that happening. stuff. And then, and then. And then if something did break, how to fix it like immediately. Right on the Like floor. how to have a spare. I mean, I, I walked around for two years with a 50-foot cable and a 57 in my pocket. Right. Just because <laughs> if something was going to break, yeah. I, I didn't have to go. I had it on me. Yeah. I had, you know. And it, and then that kind of, you know, just being prepared like that on on at a gig turned into being prepared in a session. Right. So I always had a guitar pick. I always, you know, in so, my in my backpack, I had a set of guitar strings, I, you know. How did you make the transition from the truck to being in the room? Or were, or were you simultaneously doing No, it both? was, I was pretty much fully on the truck. Okay. Well, I met my beautiful wife, oh, Carol Scott. Who I adore. 40 years, been married 40 years. Stunning, <laughs> love her. As ever. Um, <laughs> We met when I was out doing a, a remote gig. We, she lived in uh, Northern California, and I lived in Southern California, and I met her at a gig and um, fell in love, and we got married right away. So, yeah, it was, that was uh, one of the bonuses of a being. Big bonus. Big bonus. Yeah, I was recording Richard Pryor and the Beach Boys. Oh, that my was, God. That was the On double, the same night? That was the same. That was the bill, yeah. The oh. Beach Boys were opening for Richard Pryor. How bizarre is that? Pretty uh. bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would have been an interesting gig. I'm curious. And so, 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 so we met, and we we had a very. And Carol short... was at that gig. No, oh, she okay, she worked at the hotel where we were all staying. Oh. She was a, a cocktail waitress. Oh God. Okay. So, uh, we had a very short courtship and got married. When and, you know, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I had. I thought, well, you know, I'm on the road 200 days a year, this at least, or 250 days a year. I probably need to be better to stay home now with my wife. So I just asked if I could get off the truck and get into the rooms. And they said, sure. So Really? Yeah. Had so, you been training sort of your own replacement during the time on the truck? or did Well, there you... was several of us, you know, Paul Brusek. Yeah. He was on those yes, trucks, too. Yes, I see him now. Yeah. Was he, was he, what's his title now? President He's the head of, king of the world, I President think. of the known world? Yeah. But he is president, not Warner Brothers, but yeah. he's, it's Warner Brothers. Yeah. 
Yeah, I see him uh, movie around. Movie music, you know. Right, 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 right. The scoring part. Yeah, I see him around now. I'm sure he's and uh, helped of me. course, of course, David Bianco and Hutch Hutchinson. And, oh, Hutch Hutchinson! Um, oh my God. Bill Frisch and you know, I don't know. There's, wow. There's a Gary Singleman. Now, were mm. my older brothers already out of there by then? They might have been already they out were. of there by then. Because I know were. Steve did the truck for a while. Mm -hmm. I never worked with your brothers. I knew them but by sight and knew them in the hallway. But, you know, there was uh, there was a kind of a big difference between being, like, in the hallway as a, as a janitor or even an assistant and... Being an engineer. And then the, the, the big-time working engineer guys. The, the, those guys seemed... Pretty special to me. Like if I thought of, I thought of myself, I thought, God, if I could just get into a room, and be an engineer on a record, and be the guy who's doing it, that would be the best thing ever. So for for, for going from the truck, and now we're an assistant because we're in the rooms. Yeah. And what was the first assistant gigs? Do you remember the session? Yeah, I remember. My, I I do remember my first one specifically. It was uh, a Dolly Parton record. Oh, she's so nice. She was so nice. Yeah. Very flirty, but funny and, and really served it up. Yeah, it was her, it was her record. Her, she can sing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her record was, the record was called Burlap and Satin. Um, <laughs> they came in and it was set up, it was run very much like what I surmise a Nashville session to be, very timely, like yeah. we're in, we're in at nine, we're breaking at noon, we're mm -hmm. in from one to four. Yep. And then that was probably the she's day. A pro, she's a pro, though. Uh, they they didn't bring their own engineer. They used one of our top assistants at the time, this guy named Phil Jantas. Phil Jantas. Yeah, yeah. Jantas, Phil Jantas. And he ended up working with uh, Stevie Wonder, I think. Mm hmm Yeah. Phil Jantas. We all kind of did a little Stevie Wonder time. There's some good stories there, too. God bless Stevie. Anyway, so, you know, he was an inexperienced first engineer, and I was a completely inexperienced assistant engineer except with all my time on the truck right which included which you is know, the obvious the obvious patching and punching and and you know and uh, paperwork the, better foundation than you may have realized at the yeah, time but it was still terrifying and that's sort of the thing like talking about that earlier story with clink i you know there was you know the record plant was a janky old building that had you know cables everywhere and there was a central patch bay in the middle of nowhere that connected all God, the, what a nightmare i never forgot about that that connected all the echo chambers and plates to all the different rooms and some plates sounded better than others and you, you had know, to know what to work around you had to, to know avoid. which ones were good and which ones were bad and how to patch them and there nothing were has changed by the way there was auxiliary <laughs> you know like it just seemed like there was, you had to, you know, in your patch bay, you had to come out of your sand and into the super special secret tie line and then go to the special super secret tie line in another room in another part of the building and find the right hole and come out of that. And, and you had ways to reserve like plates and chambers yeah. so I mean, the other people just, weren't You had doing... to make like six patches in two different rooms. Oh, shit. To even make sure that you had the right plates. So and you're that, running back and forth. And like... that it was working. You know, and if it didn't work, like, well, wh which, where, where, why? Where is it not working? Where is it not working? Oh, which patch cord? Oh, did, I, did I do it right? Did I do it wrong? Is it in the hall? Is it in the hallway? Is it, is it the ones that go upstairs? Is it the is actual oh, plate itself that doesn't work? You know? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> all these things now are, are easier. But, well, um, I mean, we, we still have plates and chambers, but yeah. No, it's, I think it comes down to just that healthy fear. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, we were talking the other day and I said to somebody, I said, 
if you're not nervous when you go into a session, you're not you're not good. I'm nervous now just thinking about it. <laughs> it's making making me nervous. But uh, but no, I think that that's caring. You know, I mean, if you're not nervous, you don't care. Mm-hmm. I, I really think that. I mean, it's it's good to be confident. It's good to know what you know, and that's also obviously very important. But if you're not slightly like nervous and excited, okay, we can say excited instead of nervous. Mm-hmm. But if you're not excited, then you're doing the wrong thing, I think, in your wrong wrong yeah. place. But uh, okay, so okay, so we Dolly Parton, and we're now her assistant. Phil Janice is there, and I I knew some of the crew from that time. I would come out to visit, but I was already I was in college, so my brothers had moved on, so I wasn't around during that time at the record plant. But was like the Eddie Delanas and the Ricky Delanas. Absolutely, yeah, Ricky and around. Eddie. They were the they were they were right ahead of me. Uh, Paul Brusek and I were... Clink the, was still there. Clink was still there. D- Bianca was still there. Yeah. Bill Frisch was there. Michael uh, Bronstein, was he Michael around? Bronstein was there. Uh, he, was a, he, was, he was heavy. I, had, um, I just talked to him the other day. He's in Nebraska. Carrot Faye was there. Do you oh. remember, did you ever meet Carrot Faye? Carrot. Did he have red hair, I'm assuming? No, he didn't, <laughs> but he had great hair. He was, uh, he was a good-looking dude. There was, there was uh, uh, Eddie Leonetti. There was a bunch of Eddies. Eddie Leonetti, Eddie Delana, and Kevin Eddie. Mm-hmm. There's a whole bunch of oh, Eddies. Kevin Eddie. Yeah, Kevin Eddie. But uh, I, uh, yeah, we'll talk. We might have to do part two at Jim, ladies and germs, because there's yeah. a lot to tell Maybe. about the record yeah. plant year, yeah, years. But uh, so you're on the session with Dolly, and that led obviously to more assisting gigs. Yeah, well, you just get, you know, you just become the guy. Well, and you're working your way up, and after a year or Was so, there a room that you were in more than another, or? I was in uh, Studio C a lot, and what? I was in Studio A a lot. And the, 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 the best thing that happened uh, in that time was that the record plant got the first couple of SSL consoles in the country, from, from, as I remember the story. Yeah, I think so. So we, we obviously had amazing API consoles in Studio B and Studio C. We're going into solid state, ladies and gentlemen. Well, <laughs> you know, the modern era had come in, and I didn't know anything about consoles. You know, I just, you know, I didn't have a favorite. I just, you know, the job was make it work. You know, right. get, get the signal flow, get the chain, get a, make, you know, make sure everybody was happy, everything was working. That was sort of your job. There was an engineer getting the, the sounds and patch the compressor in, and there was, there was, a, there was a, a full-time engineer who was, you know, actually working on the music. And as the assistant, you had to just get everything to work. Right. So when they brought in the new SSLs, we all got trained. Mike Byriger was training us. Um, and the engineers that were working didn't know the SSL either because they're no, brand new. No, they didn't. So we, there was a handful of us who learned the SSL console, which had a computer and had a floppy disk and had a total recall. And it, it seemed very Star Trek. And We still use the it same seem, automation. It all seemed very, very like <laughs> modern and, and hip and new. And I learned, uh, I learned a lot how to bake that cake because that was what we had. Yeah. But it also meant that kind of for the rest of the 80s, you were employable if you knew, knew how to an run SSL. an SSL console. Wow. Yeah. So when I was asked to go to other sessions and other, when I'd left the record plant, when I had got opportunities to go to other sessions where there was, do you know how to run an SSL console? Yes, I do. Nice. That's, that's, that makes you marketable. Yeah. So, you and know. employable. Yeah. I mean, so you, um, how long were you an assistant at the record plant? 
about a year and a half, I think. Wow, that's not very long. No, not very, I worked my way up. I've, you know, I started. Did you get pulled out of there by someone famous? No, I actually oh. went in to get more money, and I didn't get it, so I quit. Oh, <laughs> this is the same Chris Stone who's now invested three years into Jim. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had worked my way up from like two two dollars and twenty five cents an hour to I was making four dollars and seventy. Yeah, it was like four sixty five or four four seventy five an hour, yeah. and I was the head. I was the number one assistant. You know, everybody else had sort of moved on up and out. What'd you ask for? Five bucks. I wanted 25 cents an hour. And that, at 100 hours a week, that's going to be $25. So that was going to make a difference in Did my life. Did you make life. overtime and double time? No. <laughs> yeah. It was just... Not like we do now. It was just straight... Yeah, you were working, shut up. It was yeah. 100, you know... <laughs> there was no... California labor law hadn't advanced to that point yet. A 100 hour, 100 hour week was not uncommon dude yeah i don't know how you guys did it i mean i know we know how a lot of people did it um, unfortunately a lot of drugs came into play but just the physical stamina required even now i had a conversation last week even now with a young man and i said look this is not just a career it's a lifestyle i said you have to learn how to take care of yourself get sleep in between sessions mm -hmm. and i said and learn how to strengthen your body so you can actually have the physical stamina to do this type of length of work you know and i try to I try to keep them under 60 a, a week, you know? I did an 11-hour day yesterday on a Sunday because... Because you it, like what you do. Well, and, you know, that's just kind of what the day is. You yeah, know, if, it the, if, it's a, if it's a nine or an eight-hour day, it's like... A short are, one. What's, what's going on here? It's usually a 12-hour day. It's yeah. usually 10, and I think 10 to 10 or 11 to 11. I was told that the Beatles kind of set that 12-hour day back at Abbey Road and that before that, it wasn't really that way. I think even here at Western, you know, there was a day shift and a night shift. Not that people didn't work both sometimes, but I thought... Just a union. I think there was a union. Yeah, there was probably a union that did that. But uh, but I think, I think I believe it was the Beatles, if that's correct. Jeff Emmerich told me, he said, yeah. He said, God bless and curse them for creating the 12-hour day, which meant it was a 14 to a 15-hour day for us. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. um, to go in and set up and get it rolling. But yeah. So got, anyway, so I worked, you know, I, I had, I was married and we needed more money and we needed a refrigerator and... You know, uh, five bucks we, an hour. Five yeah. bucks. I, I thought if I could just get twenty-five dollars more a week, this is gonna, it's gonna, gonna be help. great. So I went into, <laughs> I was the top guy at the time, and I asked Chris for the raise, and he was like, Jim, I can't, I can't give you that. I can't, I'm, I can't give you the money, because if I give you five, right, then everybody else is making four fifty. They're gonna want four seventy-five, and I just can't, I can't afford it. I mean, I cannot wait till my staff listens to this. It's gonna be so good. And I said, Well, okay, well, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to go find a better paying job. Uh, I've got to, I'm gonna give my notice. And he said, great, that's fantastic. Now you're a recording engineer. Oh go my out there and bring me a client. Oh my, yeah, oh God, yeah, wow. <laughs> so anyway, it was, it was funny. I mean, I don't blame him, it's just he's running a business. Yeah. You can't, you know, I mean, I had Can't no, give everybody everything they uh, want. You, you know, it seemed to me that the record plant was, um, could made, afford made, your 25 it cents. It seemed like it, but what do I know? I didn't know about running four studios and oh, paying I'm sure all those the overhead people was tremendous. and, and uh, buying all that, you know. Possibly owning, a mortgage uh, on the building, buying uh, all that cocaine, uh, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> owning pianos and all the equipment, you know, those SSL consoles were Not real cheap. expensive, you know, back hundreds they of thousands up, yeah. back, in, back then, which was. Which was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to the, the Neves and the APIs of the time. I bought one for 900 grand myself. Here at, at Cello. 900 grand. Yeah. 
that was the that was unfortunately the undoing of cello but that's another story for another time but i have another ssl now so there you go everything there all works out the way it's supposed to happen so you're freelance and you and, and you have to go tell carol your wife like hey uh hey i'm unemployed <laughs> <laughs> and unemployment probably paid five dollars a day <laughs> i don't think i ever collected any unemployment. i've only gotten it one time in my life myself so uh where your brain must have just been racking. You were probably like, damn, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Well, you know, I had one of the things that I did early on, and I think it's still a pretty good idea. You can do it, obviously, now with social media or with, you know, a tap of your cell phone. But I had a business card. Oh, yeah. I had a business card from, you know, that time, and I had my name and my phone number, Jim Scott, recording engineer, and my phone number. Yep. And I gave that out in, in, demurely to almost every guy, every musician that came through every session. Yep. And I'd make a point of going up to the bass player and going like, you got a great tone, man. I've really enjoyed hanging out with you this, you know, Here's this, my card. this week. If you ever, I can do everything. Here's my card, call me. If you record a gig, fix right. your studio, do something at home, anything. Man. I encourage the I encourage the runners to get their own cards. Like I, they were like, "Well, what should it stay on?" And I, I said, "Well, you can say whatever you want, but if you want to say East West stuff, on that's fine." And you go to gigs, you go to see bands. I said, "Walk up and give them your card." Yeah. So I got yeah. some jobs from that, you know. You, and and now that I wasn't working, I was able to go out to clubs or go to the Palomino and oh, go I to love the go to the Troubadour and. Yeah, you hand out a couple business cards, and every once in a while somebody calls you like, hey, I remember you, man. And so, uh, whatever, you know, now you can just send your digital business card to somebody. And I, still, I still have a physical card, too, though. I do both, you know, because I think sometimes people will find it later in their wallet and go, oh, yeah. Oh, I had this, I've had the same phone number for so long. I think my cards are still good. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your first first thing gig? Did uh, we know? Well... My first firsting gig. Yeah, that's what we call it, firsting. Well, I did some firsting at the record plant. Okay. Uh, in okay. terms of like, they would bring it, sometimes they'd bring in a first and they really weren't. Yeah, that they, happens today, every day. Um, I'm one job I did with Luther Vandross uh, doing a Dion, Dion Warwick record. Oh my God. You know, no disrespect to anybody, but the, the fellow that they brought in to Just, engineer the record didn't really have that kind of experience. He, right. was, a, he was a crew guy front of house mixer and uh, no disrespect to this guy whose name I've forgotten not. but he didn't know how to how to patch he didn't know how to punch he and didn't it's, know and how it's to, the manager's job to graciously go in and alert the client to the fact that if they want the session to go well they're going to need to bring in someone who actually knows the room and knows what to do I, I have to do this all the time by the way and then and say look I've got somebody he's great he knows the room he can do the session I'm going to bring in Jim and it's going to cost you x amount more money mm-hmm Right. So did you they, get more they, money? Person? No, well, of course not. But but you still <laughs> you still sitting at the console making a balance and actually listening and talking to the, the, the talent and the yeah. producer and you know like go in at the top of the second verse. Okay, we're going in the top of the second verse. Two, three, punch, punch out. You know, you know, just just make just running a session and. What, what were the what were the multi-track machines? Do you remember? Probably like um, on the trucks fun. we had three M79s, mm. and in the rooms we had Studer 800s. Uh, Studer, okay. Sorry, I digress. I just want to get details for people. Well, we, there was some three M79 Studio uh, Two. I mean, B Studio right. B had uh, 
the old API room, Paul Grepp's room, John Boylan's room. John Boylan's room. Oh, Paul Grepp, you know? Another yeah. Gone. I saw John recently, though. John looks great. Oh, he's great. He's fine. I got a John Boylan story. Oh, yeah, let's, let's tell John. Everyone, John, John Boylan shares Jim's beautiful white hair. It's <laughs> hard to say who's better looking, although I, I have to say Jim. Well, but thank John, you. you're handsome, too. <laughs> so when I was a geologist, we would go out. Um, we didn't do all big housing tracks. We did, you know, people would call us that had problems, you know, foundation problems, driveways cracking, retaining walls falling over, whatever. So I got called one day to go up to John Boylan's house up in Nichols Canyon. Oh my God. And the creek behind Nichols Canyon was really flooding. It was uh, mid 70s, 76, 77, 78, around in there. And the creek's flowing. His his yard is getting eroded. It's gonna oh. come and take out a wall. And oh God. Well, what do we do here? And we got water table issues. We got all kinds so of things. So I, you know, I, I worked with John professionally as a geologist oh on, my God. on his project and, you know, did a good job. And we, you know. And helped him save his house. Well, I don't, it wasn't gonna take the house, but we, you know, we, we did the job that we were supposed to do. So a couple of years later, that's all done. And I'm at the record plant as a gopher. And John Boylan is there probably with, you know, quarter flash or, you know, Boston or something. Boston. Yeah. Who <laughs> yeah. knows? And, uh, and he, he sees me in the hallway and I, I said, hi, Mr. Boylan, it's Jim Scott. And he goes, you were, weren't you my, and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not a geologist anymore. I'm, I'm that is so crazy. I'm working here now. The and universe he, is crazy. And he was very gracious, as he is. Yes, and he, he said, you're welcome to come in my room anytime. Oh. And um, so I, I did occasionally. You know, I, I love John, and I got along with him really well. Uh, and I probably would have gotten along with Paul Grupp as well, too, except I didn't, I just was intimidated by him. Yeah. You know, and he, had, he was a head down, make it work kind of guy. So I didn't really like buddy up with Paul Grupp as much as I would have liked to, or maybe should have. But mm -hmm. John is a prince, and and should have, uh, um, you know, he just he made me feel great. Yeah, he, he's very very cool. That that's so wild. I mean, you you you, you can't even make that up. Yeah. <laughs> that I was a geologist and met John Boylan, and then I'm at the record plant. And then I'm at the record plant. He's there with the. Uh, so so you know, you're the, independent. The you're independent engineer now. I'm an independent engineer. I'm home. I'm unemployed. I may be doing some demo work here and there, and my big break, and this is the big break, and it's the big break that everybody wishes they could get, and I don't know how I got it, but I got it. My big break was. Um, the record plant also had uh, not only the four studios and the four trucks, but they had a scoring stage. And we did TV shows, you know, like- Where was the scoring stage? It was over on the MGM lot, right? Oh, you know, Studio oh, right, 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 right. M, Studio, Studio M. M. Right, 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 right. And, uh, you know, it was the, you know that that era the technologies were colliding there were modern ssls and computers yet film was still film yeah if you want and you know we were doing scoring for tv shows cagney and lacy and just like you know like nagra machines and stuff like that well like, you know the the crazy the point of the story is like oh, we sorry. were doing they had they had a young engineer over there a guy named pete smith who was had become a friend with Sting and the police were trying to mix Sting and the police were trying to mix the the surround sound audio for the synchronicity the police synchronicity concert video okay and it's not going well 
Pete's a young, inexperienced engineer, doesn't know much about <laughs> anything. Well, certainly <laughs> this, not about this. mixing in surround sound at the time. Being in a scourge stage in America, in a union house, right. film is on sprockets. It's film. It's yeah. sprockets. The yeah. sprockets are locked to another thing. And the synchronization is the another animal. The two animal. 24 tracks are locked to a computer that it's locked to the film. It's all slow and cumbersome. Every time you want to roll back, it takes five minutes to relock everything. Oh, God. Pete's freaking out. Nothing's happening. He's complaining. And the record plant said, would you consider coming back and to be a super assistant? We'll pay you $10 an hour. Oh, and go over there and make this work because they're getting ready to walk. You know, they're oh, not happy. Wow. It's like, okay, so we go over Nothing there. like walking into a high-pressure situation. You know, uh, you know, Tim Boyle's over there. Oh, Lord, God and, bless. And I'm over there, and we, we calm Pete down. And I said, you know, long story short is I said, look, here's how this is going to work. Here's a pair of NS10s. You do the stereo mix. Oh, great. Like you always do. You don't think about anything else. You get that stereo that mix rocking. I'm going to take care of this, the the rear the rear surrounds. I'm going to take care of the other in the front and and the sub. Don't worry about the sub. We're just going to feel it. It's going to be great. <laughs> you just, you know, you do your stereo. Mix. You do the stereo mix. I'm going to cover everything else. We're going to get this thing clicking, and we did. I love it. You know, a week or ten days go by. Get it all done. Everybody's happy. High fives, and, you know, six months later, I get a call from England from Pete Smith going. Stings just hired me to produce his first solo album, which is the Dream of the Blue Turtles. Yeah, record. I love that record. And I would like you to engineer it. Oh my God, I don't know. I don't know where. I how did I and, not know that? And I was hadn't really done anything. That's really. a gorgeous sounding record. To your it credit, is. it is. Yeah. So I, he said, "How much do you? How much do you charge?" Yikes. And I and I'm and it's, this is going to be at Eddie. It was going to be in Barbados. I need to fly from California to Barbados. We're going to work at Eddie Grant's Blue Wave Studio oh, with an man. SSL oh, and man. two studers. Oh my God! And an Adam Smith synchronizer. All oh of, my God! All of which I know how to run. Yep. And that's part of my higher ability. Yep. How much do you charge? And I said, Well, I, I, uh, and I'm going to reach for the stars here. I said, <laughs> I, I charge. $100 per day. I thought you might say $100. <laughs> $100 per day is my fee. And he said, okay, so that's $600 per week if we have a day off. And I went, yeah. Did they think that was a reasonable fee? He took, he took it. So nice. I went to Barbados with Sting and Pete Smith and the Blue Turtles, which was Branford Marsalis and oh Omar Hakim and oh Kenny Kirkland and oh Daryl Jones, who was a teenager at the time. Oh, my God. And what an incredible band. What an amazing band. Yeah. And we struggle through. And it's, How long you know, were you in Barbados? Like, wait a minute. I don't know, a month, maybe? You got kids yet? No. Okay, okay. No, no kids. Carol and I are married. She's a school teacher. Got it. Um, we're down there in springtime. Carol came down on spring break for a couple days. Nice. And I didn't have any days off while she was there, but it was okay. We she still got to hang out in Barbados. Went to Barbados, and um, we, you know, we did we did the record, and we do, uh, you know, it's kind of business as usual. And I'm I'm a little more confident by then, and and um, 
and the band is great and you just you know part of part of why the record sounds great is because the band was great it's a beautiful record I, I great people make great sounds. I have a story about that record I went to an AES show would have been right after that and uh, we got I can't remember who this might have been SSL who was the sponsor for a party at AES and your ticket was a silver plate I mean your ticket was a silver plated ticket it actually ended up being like a keychain but it looked like a ticket and when you got the invite it was at the limelight and it was in New York and you got to go see Sting and the band perform the record yeah and it was a big big deal I'll, I'll never forget it was one of my early AESs as a young manager I think it was B83 maybe 84 I don't know but 84. I don't remember which year but uh I remember that concert very, very, very 84, well. 84, 85, baby. Um, where are we at on our time? I'm just going to make sure I don't want to wear you out. I can't read that. <laughs> my, my wonderful engineer is holding up his fingers, and I can't count fingers, apparently. About 80 minutes. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, we're going to... God, I, I could talk forever. I could talk forever to Jim. Jim, I'm so sorry. To, <laughs> it takes talk so long. Well, we've made it all the way up to, like, 1984. Yeah. Got, I, you know... Uh, should we try to go another 10 and, and get into some later stuff or I don't because we, we we do edit these we don't edit them much they're they're generally an hour per episode so I think we're gonna have to do part two another time I don't want to wear them out yeah let's let's try to do another 15 okay. to 20 minutes and then we'll get some lunch or whatever but okay. if, if you feel up to it sure okay Sounds good. um so uh Okay, so this is so cool. So Jim's in Barbados. He's doing a dream of Blue Turtles, incredible band with Sting, yeah. approximately 1983, 80, 84. So Jim, this is the your quote. We call it the big break, as it were. Um, and then you're off to the races. I'm assuming did, well, did work come? Well, hard no, and no, fast? it didn't. I mean, the, you know, we've, the Sting record we finished up. We uh, we tried to do a mix in at Eddie Grant's place in Barbados. So we we did a mix of a song and. Uh, Pete flew over to Miami, went to Criteria, okay. and, and had it mastered, and came back with his tail between his legs, going, "This sounds terrible." Where the the mastering guy was threw his hands up, like we was can't. Tom Dowd around still? Done. He was still alive, but yeah. he wasn't there. Wasn't there. So we packed up everybody and we flew to uh, Le Studio up in Quebec, mm. and we mixed the uh, the record in four days. We mixed the Dream of Blue, Blue Turtles. We mixed three songs a day. On an SSL, of course, and just like Jim's spaceship, Jim's yeah. Enterprise was the so we SSL. Just, we just we just push it up. And, He's the Captain Kirk of the know, SSL. Vo vocal loud, a lot of AMS reverb, a lot of dark chamber, a lot of AMS. And back in those days, a very very <laughs> reverby record, but yeah, it was fun. So, um, you know, things didn't explode after that, but one thing did lead to another, and that was a big hit record. I was nominated for a Grammy. Yep. First record I ever engineered, I was nominated for so the cool. Best Engineered Recording Non-Classical. I didn't win, but I was nominated. Hey, nominated is great. Nominated, got to go. And, um, you know, slowly things started to get some calls, you know. When Robbie, did, uh, Robbie Robertson, ah. did that, that kind of came on next that. I was... Fantastic work on his first solo album, the Robbie Robertson record that took 18 months. And wow. When does the uh, when does the Rick Rubin chapter begin? I guess, you know, that's a really good question. I'm going to say late 80s, somewhere okay. in the late 80s. I'd have to I'd have to think about it. We have to get on the Internet and look at my resume, <laughs> figure out when that was. But, yeah, somewhere along the line, I, you know, I got introduced to Rick Rubin and... Um, 
I'm sure there was many incredible things in between. I guess. <laughs> I, you know, I... Uh... First record with Rick. Wolfsbane. Oh, my God. I've never heard of this record. <laughs> Wolfsbane. And Should I know this record? No, it was just another heavy rock record. Uh, I forget the studio. We're, at, we're out, out in some studio, kind of a famous studio, some studio out in the valley somewhere with a low ceiling control room. Maybe, oh, would, maybe Rumbo or one of the Westlake type rooms? No, it or? wasn't one of those. Was it Candid? No. Mm. I forget. I, I have to think of that. And it's all right. We're pounding on this, rec on this metal band, and, which was not my favorite kind of music, but you know, the, the job as, the, as engineer is give the people what they want. No you know, kidding. it's like it's not really. If you want to just engineer your stuff for you, then <laughs> go gonna, ahead. You're going to be in trouble, but though. <laughs> if you you got to be flexible. You got to you know when people say no, I want I want this to sound. You might think it's a terrible drum sound, but if they love it, you're doing your job. You got to like get your ego out of the way and go Absolutely. like you know and listen to what they're listen to their words. Like what are they saying? Like we want the snare drum to tear your head off. We want the kick drum to poke your eyes out. It's like. Well, I like big pillowy kick drums that are <laughs> right, gentle right. and lovey-dovey. It's like, well, that's not going to work on this record. So get out of your own way yeah. and, you know, blow it up. You know, if they want it hard and bright and crazy, that's your job. Well, even you, when you know? you're the first engineer and even when you're the producer, I always tell the staff, I'm like, look, if you think that you're going to go from being an assistant to being a first and you're going to be in charge, at the end of the day, everybody the engineer, the producer, everybody is working for the artist. Mm -hmm. Everybody is in, in the sense that your job, you are subordinate to the music. So if you can't get, like you said, get your ego out of the way and serve the music, yeah. then you're not doing the right thing. So, so yeah, so you're doing this metal record with, with, uh, with Rick, something I'm sure that Rick believed in. Spain. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. And I remember that session. Uh, you know, Rick was a trans. He hadn't quite transplanted out here yet. I don't think he was here full time. He's still from New York. Um, but I did some stuff in New York with him. Uh, uh, you know, at, at at with Chris Goss and the Masters of Reality. I love that know. band. Yeah, but uh, band. mostly out here, Rick and Rick mostly was doing heavier, heavier yeah. albums. Yeah. Danzig and Slayer and yeah, Glenn's works here still. Glenn Danzig, yeah, mother. You know, I can't yeah, sing yeah. people, but you know, it's a crazy. Well, song. I, you know, I did four records with Danzig, and I think four records with Slayer, and oh wow, did some of them here. Oh, crazy! And uh, and then that kind of transitioned into the other great heavy bands and yeah. the Rage Against the Machine, and you have to wonder how Tom Petty met rick like or was that was tom not a rick thing was that the george thing later no i i, I don't know but you know it, you and the, tom seem super simpatico to me that's through seems... the years you know working rick just wanted the job done right you know like he's he can be hands-on if he needs to be hands-on he can be hands-off if he needs to be hands-off it doesn't really um you know i'm in my session every second of the day but rick didn't need to be sometimes like yeah, he, the, he doesn't the need to be now. If the artist didn't need him there, then Rick's not there. That's how you can do three records at once. <laughs> however, you, how I don't, I personally can't do that. But yeah. if if you can, then you yeah. you know you get you get your lieutenants in order. You get guys in the room. Yeah. Maybe a guy like me who can get a session together and get a sound together and like let's get this all together. A lot of trust. And, and now it's now it's you know we worked all day. We've done some takes. We got it. We we were we, we think we're great. Now let's call Rick. 
Right, right. Instead of Rick here. sitting here from 11 o'clock in the morning wondering how, why is this taking so long, <laughs> now it's 9 o'clock at night and it's happening. Let's call him and see if he'll let come him, down. Let him check and, it out. You know, that system worked good. Still does. But there was <laughs> many records where Rick was in the room or else we weren't, tape wasn't rolling. Okay, gotcha. So, you know, it's, it's not, this isn't a, this got nothing to do with Rick's process. This has got everything to do with being uh, able to work with a guy who had incredible talent and incredible vision and the Midas touch yep. and connections left, right, and center. And the reason I'm even here talking to you now and the reason I'm going to go to work next week is because there's a Rick Rubin out, record out there that I did that somebody really liked, whether it's a Tom Petty or a Chili Peppers or a or Slayer or Danzig right. or Donovan or Johnny oh, no, Cash no, or you know pick no one. I mean, I, I couldn't have been more lucky to absolutely applauding the contribution that Rick's made both to music and to many many careers. Yeah, many careers in the building that we're sitting in for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I saw Dan Leffler the other day, random note. I was at oh, the good. Dave Grohl, uh, the Taylor Hawkins tribute, and I was backstage, and he showed me a picture. It might have been with you, but it was it was him and Rick. And I was like remembering, but it was like over 20 years ago, and I was like, oh, wow. Anyway, sorry, I, I digress. But, uh, but certainly, so along the path, all the people that you meet make a difference. And like you said, you know, all the people that you work with on every session – that word of mouth, that is your career. That, that yeah. becomes how you get your work. And so the sessions you did with Rick, um, amongst others, um, somehow, who, who got you to Tom Petty? Because I just find you and the Tom thing so... Well, no, Rick was on it. So I was so, just, so you know, I was just, I was one of a few guys. That was, I didn't know if that was Rick. I wasn't sure. Yeah, it was Rick. I was one of a few guys that was, you know, one of Rick's guys. Rick, yeah. Rick frequently had more than one record going at a time. Yeah. So it would be me or, or Shifty or uh, Dave Schiffman, the great yeah. Dave Schiffman, or Love. Sylvia Massey or yeah. Dave Bianco or me. Somebody would be in a session somewhere doing a Rick record and he'd get another record. So you had to find another studio and just right. go in there. And, wow. and, um, and I was, I, I know Dave Bianco was doing some of the petty record to begin with because they had lost, Stan Lynch was no longer in the band. Oh, right. And they weren't going to do a drum machine record like they had done. With what record was that? Do you remember? Wildflowers. Oh, was it Wildflowers? Okay. Yeah. So the, somehow I got in on it at over at Sound City, <laughs> and we were we were doing we were auditioning drummers and bass players. We'd had uh, drummers and bass players come in to play along with the Heartbreakers, and somewhere Is along. Is Ron Blair in the band at that point? Ron Blair. Mm-mm. No. Okay. No, no Ron Blair. No Stan. Got it. Okay. Uh, and Howie was in the band, but Howie. Right. Well, poor Howie. Howie. Howie was undependable. Yeah. At, you know. Uh, Ron was out in the valley selling, you know, swimming suits, oh, you God. know, at his store. Oh. Uh, and of, you know, at, and finally as it worked out. So yeah, out, Tom, Benmont, and Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. And okay. we would go through rhythm sections and we finally settled on, you know, obviously Steve Ferroni yeah. and, and Howie. But Howie didn't uh, always, he played on all the tracks, but he didn't, his bass part didn't always make the final cut. Gotcha. Sometimes, you know, we would do a take and then Tom or Mike would just over- overdub a new bass or something. Uh, Mike Campbell, one of the 
greatest guitar players. Yeah, ever. sweetheart too. Great guy. Angel. Great Love guy. Him. Tom too. Amazing. Benmont too. All wow. amazing. Just, and Steve Ferroni as well. Oh, I, I saw the, Steve the other day. Steve comes in and does sessions all the time. Yeah. You know, and so I, that was a lucky break for sure. You know, getting to do, you know, getting on the Tom Petty uh, bandwagon with Rick. We, in those years, you know, we did a bunch of records really quickly. We did Wildflowers, Echo. And I bet Tom was the kind of guy one. when he liked you, you were now in the crew. Yeah. You're in the family now. Yeah. Yeah. Wildflowers, She's the One. Echo, Last DJ, and the first five CD box set in f and live at the Olympic in four years. Wow. Crazy. <laughs> you know, Crazy. We, worked, we worked all the time. Crazy, yeah. No, I'm good friends with Ryan Uliott, who, who's been working yeah, on yeah, all yeah. that Tom Petty stuff since. But uh, he'll say to me, well, I've been Tom's guy for 15 years, and I'm thinking, well, that's not that long. Because I'm looking back mm -hmm. to knowing when you did Wildflowers. I'll never forget, this is a random insert I was sailing to Catalina and I was listening to Wildflowers and I think I called you and I said, I'm sailing to Catalina and I'm listening to Honeybee mm -hmm. <laughs> as I'm sailing. And it just seems so appropriate that I'm listening to Wildflowers and I thought about you, but uh, great. Oh my God, so such good records. And one of the things I really liked about Tom Petty in my observance from the, not even the catbird seat, from the removed area was what a great band leader. Mm -hmm. band leader no mistake and tom was the leader yeah he sure was you know no, but i think that's good i think no confusion you got to have one and then he knew he had the intelligence to know that he needed a producer you know so rick or whatever and he had worked with great producers he, oh yeah he knew the, their value you know yeah and definitely. someone he i think he said to me one time i i need someone that can say no to me mm -hmm. i don't want it to be my band you know, I think he'd said that. So I, I, I mean, maybe I don't know if he remembered saying that, but he did say that. So I thought, yeah, that made sense. Right. You know, he wants someone to rein him in or whatever. But I'm sure it was very collaborative. When you're engineering for him, I'm sure you were co-producing the entire time. Well, I, you know, you I, are. I've learned, you know, you don't just, if you get an idea, just remember it for a while, you know, just make sure just make sure that you're the solution and not the problem. And, right. and don't, just because you get an idea doesn't mean it's the right idea. Yeah, don't or, blurt it. Yeah, just, just wait. But, at, but if, you, if you know you're right, or if you know that they've missed the point and you know where the point is, go ahead. You know, you, you've earned the right to have your opinion. Yeah. But that all comes with, you know, being prepared in your, in your own session. It's like if you, uh, I, you know, I, I still work very much in an analog world and an analog mentality. I, mm -hmm. If we do, if I have a band in the room and we do five or six takes, I don't want to come in and listen to five or six takes. We don't have enough time in our life to, we know take one's not it. We know take two had the wrong arrangement. We know take three was, we tried it in G. So, do you try to keep everything though, just in case? Oh, of course, we yeah. keep everything. Yeah, yeah. But I also, I, you know, I pay attention from the very first note that's played and and you remember which one you like well i keep notes i mean i've well, got yeah. you know like what what's the old joke long pencil better than a short memory yeah. you know <laughs> Seriously. I, I write a lot of things down i keep copious notes about the takes i have a bar chart and uh same with lyrics i have a lyric sheet when i comp vocals it's i comp them as they're being performed right. i don't comp them like oh you did 10 takes well come on in let's listen to them all and we'll comp it oh, up it's oops. like we don't have time yeah you know we we, we gotta 
studio time's expensive. People it, don't take, you know, just, I, I'm sure everybody does that, but if you don't do it, get yourself a pencil and pay attention. There's no reason to listen to take five if it's terrible. Yeah. And if you're listening to it going like, what is going on? This is terrible. This <laughs> like, you don't need to play it back for anybody. Yeah, you don't need to depress, <laughs> no, depress the singer. Never, you know, I try to never let anybody hear anything bad. Yeah, you went, and I mean, it's such a psycho uh, psychology involved as well. The trust we talked about earlier. But keeping the vibe going, keeping the momentum going is really super fundamental all the way from assisting to first into producing. Keep Keeping the momentum going, keeping the vibe good, keeping everything happening because... Artists are sensitive, man. Yeah. You know, and you don't want to harsh the vibe and fuck up the whole day because, you know, you told them they sucked on yeah. something, right? But I, I think it's so it's such a credit to you and such a credit to your career and all the artists that you've worked with. I mean, dude, Tedeschi Trucks. Yeah, man. Let's just talk How about, about that. We're skipping around. I don't care. Let's talk about that now. Fuck it. Well, Susan, Susan Tedeschi. <laughs> it's my podcast. I can say what I want. <laughs> Susan Tedeschi is a force to be reckoned with. She's amazing She knows singer. what's up. She knows what's up. She's so sensitive and so powerful at the same time. She's an amazing woman. And, you know, being in a, that big of a band and still being able to, like, kill it out front with all that, two drummers and three singers and three horns a bunch of well look several couple <laughs> women, women too, too. women yeah, yeah. too yeah what a, what a, another lucky incredibly lucky break and uh there's a the direct connection to this room oh, for that connection really yeah direct connection what i is did it? i did a record with doyle bramhall in this oh, room oh yeah the you know the uh the record had green light girl on it it was called uh was Daryl Trucks on that record? No, oh. no, but J.J. Uh, Johnson, the drummer, ah. was, was Doyle's drummer. If you're listening to this, to Desi Trucks, please come back and record in Studio One in East West. <laughs> I would love that, nothing more. It'd so be I became friends. Ben Mont and I produced that record together, ah. Doyle's record. And I met J.J., and it was fantastic. He's a great drummer, and we became friends and stayed in touch a little bit. And that was, I don't know, how many years ago? 20 years ago? That record's 20 years old? Easy. Wow, yeah, I mean, yeah. I've been at my place 17 years, so. Yeah. So. Then, but he's only 21. Then <laughs> I did another record years later with a, with a group called the Wood Brothers, who are incredible songwriters, super cool guys. And they got a, their drummer was uh, Falcon, Tyler Greenwell. Mm -hmm. And beautiful cat, fell in love with him. We became friends. This is all because Jim speaks the language of drummers. Well, because maybe. He was, he was, even though he thought he wasn't a good drummer, he understood drummers. So anyway, <laughs> so when the, when the Tedeschi Trucks band decides to join forces, like Susan's band and, and the, the Derek Trucks band are going to become one giant band, the yeah. Tedeschi Trucks band, they, they are putting their band together. And the two drummers are JJ and Falcon. Oh, my God. How cool is that? So... They're talking about, you know, life and making records. And Derek says, well, who should we, who should we get? Tom Dowd has passed away. Who That probably would have been their first choice, you know. Who should we get to produce this record? And the two drummers both said, call Jim Scott. Yes. So we love this. I love that so much. This is the kind of stuff we want people to hear. Well, it's. What you do matters. Like you said earlier, I mean, it matters. Every single session you do leads you to the next session. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you realize it or not, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, well, you know, it's, uh, 
it's about everything's about relationships and leaving everybody happy and yeah just go go on that extra mile it's not that hard you know free to be nice i always say yeah i like that well we're gonna they're great you know, I've been very lucky. I've done four records with the uh, Tedeschi Trucks Band. I love them. I just We're going to wrap up pretty soon, but I just went and saw a screening of the Mad Dogs and Englishmen thing that they did. Uh, and they basically, those of you who don't realize this, Tedeschi Trucks recreated. They got everybody that is still alive together to do those songs from that tour. And yeah. they made a documentary. And the documentary, they interview everybody and talk about the original tour. You know, obviously, uh, Leon Russell and Leon Russell was still alive during part of this. Yep. And uh, and Leon Russell, dude, a connection to the room we're sitting in as well. People, no you don't doubt. realize, listener, that Leon Russell, besides being a famous artist in his own right, was an incredible, obviously incredible piano player. But he played on Doris Day's records. Yeah. Like he he was probably second member of the wrecking crew. Yeah, you know? he was the guy. He was one of the keyboard guys, you know, one of the one of the piano guys, you know, Mike Melvoin, uh, Leon Russell. Mm-hmm. There's just so Very much lovely. like that. I learn when when you look at those documentaries, the, the one about about Mad Dogs and Englishmen, you learn about the dynamic between Joe Cocker and Leon Russell. And you learn about the dynamic and between all the players and between the musicians and the people on the road. And most of the stories are beautiful good stories family love and family people and i'm sure that tedesi trucks brought that to this documentary with their remake of it because they are such a sort of you know they've got their band which is such a big band and they were so so cool with all the people that have been part of that very generous people yeah they seem to be so uh did you get to work on any of that uh, the no no uh, i didn't there uh you know they kind of did that during covid Oh, you know, right. That's right. COVID. So they probably were like, and they, you know, their, their engineer, Bobby Tease, right. uh, who is the son of the great Bob Tease from New York. Oh, okay. Um, a great maintenance engineer. Bobby is uh, a great producer and a great engineer. And is, he's got the, he's got the Derek truck, Susan Tedeschi job. He goes on the road with them. Right. does Derek's, uh, he does all the monitors. He doesn't do front of house. He does, he needs to be on stage because he also does. Derek's guitars. Oh, oh yeah, he's his, oh, right, right. He's the monitor guy and, and the does, guitar tech. And the guitar tech and Derek's in-house recording engineer down in Florida at the at Swamp Raga at their studio, Swamp Raga. Gotcha. Great guy, I love him. But I just, I just, uh, just to go back and we're gonna wrap up. It's just, I just, I love seeing you. I love talking to you. I've learned so much about you that I didn't know, and just. Uh, I just am so glad you're still making records. You're yeah, like, me I too. Mean, that's what I want to say. Oh, I mean, yeah, me too. And uh, if you want to hire Jim Scott, just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Reach out. I'll put you in touch with Jim. He is available. You know, people think that people are not for hire, you know, whether it's a engineer producer or a session singer. I, I got an email yesterday. They, a young girl said, uh, you know, I'm a singer. I'm an independent artist. Can I book your studio? And I said, all are welcome. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? People, I don't think people really understand that you're a working guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're making records and, uh, and happy to be making records. So I just want to thank you so much for coming today, Jim, and, and for doing this. Thank uh, you, Candy. Trade secrets. Oh, yeah. You know, you get the double entendre there. We're trading secrets. But, uh, but I've learned so much. And I love you so much. And God, keep making records, please. 
I'm doing my we best. We need you to keep making records. We might, we might still do a part two. There's a, there's a lot to dig in here. Oh, yeah. But uh, And if any, if I buy a new house, can you come out and check out the foundation? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, know actually, okay. I know a guy that can do yeah, that. I, I mean, he knows the guy who knows the guy. Well, Jim, thank you so much. And uh, that that's the conclusion. Thanks for having me. Thank you,